0: Let's welcome back to the Yaakov M. Show our old friend Brian Lai. Brian is the executive director of Case Pack. He makes frequent appearances on Newsmax TV, Real America's Voice, and other news networks. He's a former congressional candidate, and it's a real privilege that we get to host him here on the podcast. Brian, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, Yaakov, thanks for having me. The privilege and honor is is all mine. Congrats to you on, on all the success the uh, success that you're having with this
0: podcast. Thank you. Yes, and congrats to you. I appreciate the, word, the kind words. And case back, I do want to get to a little bit later, because that's very exciting. That happened since we last spoke. I want to get to the sure. debate, but let's begin with our favorite topic. Let's begin with Trump. And this man has been persecuted like nobody can imagine. He's been indicted more times than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, literally. He's the American version, I look at it as uh, of Alexei Navalny. And yet, he's so mm. resilient. And if we had any doubts about Trump's magic... About his mightiest touch. He literally uses his mugshot and flips that to generate seven million dollars. You can't make this stuff up. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Seven
1: million in counting. Uh I'm I'm sure those numbers are gonna grow even higher uh as as we, we're talking yeah. here on this podcast. But <laughs> but Yako, you know, so you're you're exactly correct. I mean it's 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 one witch on after another. And you know what what I don't understand, but at the same time I, I don't have a problem with it. But what I don't understand is is why the left continues to go after Trump like this. They they keep thinking it's gonna hurt him in some capacity. And every time they come after him, his polling numbers go through the roof. Um and um so like I said, I mean I, I, I wish they weren't going after him, but at the same time you know, they are. And, and President Trump is taking it head on. I mean, this guy's got so much energy, so much passion for this country uh, and for for giving back to the country that gave so much to him. Um, and that's I don't think that's just political rhetoric. I mean, obviously, you'll hear that, you know, in his campaign speeches. But I've I've heard that firsthand from him. Um, that, you know, he's doing this to save our country. He's doing this to uh, to put America first. And, um, you know, all of these indictments, I think, Yakov, they just strengthen him. They make him even stronger than he was before. Um, and uh, listen, the, the polling data shows it, too. The American people are standing with him. I mean, he's over 50 percent in almost every single poll out there. And I saw a poll this morning from Emerson that for uh, the first time, I think, in Emerson, He's now two points ahead of uh, Joe Biden in a matchup in a general election. So, yeah, our our, our guy Trump is, is sitting pretty right now, and he's going to keep working hard. Uh, and I think we're in really good shape.
0: That's interesting. And yeah, look, the, some people, the notion uh, obviously amongst his base and among Republicans, like you said, they're just getting more galvanized and more energized every indictment. There's a notion out there that like somehow independent voters are going to see Trump get invi- get indicted and suddenly decide. Oh, wow. Now I'm not going to vote. Like anyone who's not voting for Trump after the indictment already wasn't good. I, I just simply don't see him losing a single vote over any of this, which I do. I am curious if you have any thoughts about it. Like you said, what the motivation is, I, I, I would tend to agree with you that the Democrats somehow thought this would weaken him. I would think they're shocked. I've heard this like notion out there among some conservatives who say the Democrats think that Trump is so beatable. They're indict some kind of like backward strategy. They're indicting him to strengthen him in the primaries or something like that. But I do find that a little far fetched. What do you think? What do you think is the end game from the Democrats and and from, I guess, the legal standpoint?
1: Well, I've heard that, too, and that Democrats really want for Donald Trump to be uh, the Republican nominee. Um, I don't think they're still feeling that way as they see these these head-to-head matchups with (laughs) Trump pulling ahead of Biden in the general election. Um, But, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the left is – I don't know if they're they're really, you know, thinking their things out too much but when they do make a decision they stick with it and they're very organized and they stick together. Um so, you know, it's been one one DA after another, one state after another that have uh have gone after President Trump. Um and like you said it's it's really just strengthened him and and continued to catapult him even higher. Um and I'm I'm sure you saw he made an appearance back on uh, X, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Um, When he uh, put out his uh, his mugshot, that tweet alone, I think I checked this morning, had over 250 million impressions, over 2 million likes. And when you compare that just one tweet from Donald Trump with over 2 million likes to uh, Joe Biden's last 10 tweets – Joe Biden had 225 thousand likes in his last ten tweets alone. As the president of the United States, Donald Trump puts up one tweet and has over a million over a million likes. So, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the uh, American people are are going to stand behind Donald Trump. Uh, I think there's going to be, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of this gymnastics, you know, with this Republican uh, Party primary. Uh, But at the end of the day, the polling data over the last eight months now has shown Trump continuing to rise and all the other candidates continuing to fall even lower. Um, And I think you're probably going to start seeing some of them drop out now because at the end of the day, Donald Trump is a nominee, a presumptive nominee, and I don't see anything or anyone stopping him at this point.
0: Yeah, I would actually completely tend to agree with you. I completely agree with your assessment of that. I mean, it, it's not even its not even close. They cannot make a dent. Not a, even close. And and the Democrats and the other Republican candidates alike are, and I like these <laughs> candidates. I have a lot of respect for the Republican candidates. There's nothing negative about them, but they're scratching their heads like he gets indicted, the nasty tweets. Like, what do we need to do? So I, I joke about, you know, Ron DeSantis is trying to get somebody to take his mugshot because he thinks I might help him in the polls.
1: Yeah, well uh, Donald Trump has something that, that Ron DeSantis doesn't have and that's that's a personality. Um so uh you know Ron DeSantis can get his mugshot taken as much as he wants. It's not gonna move him up in the polls at all. I mean I you know, we watched a debate, you know, last yeah. uh, last week. And um you know, I, I thought that there were some individuals that, that, really did shine, uh, and come through in a really good way. But, uh, you know, as, as we've seen through the polling data, the debate didn't help DeSantis in any way, shape or form. And, and granted, I'm, I'm on team Trump all the way. So, you know, it, it maybe sounds a little jaded with me saying this, but I mean, when I'm, uh, you know, I was watching DeSantis and watching his, his remarks and he, he was just overcompensating at every single turn. Uh, he, he at at times really sounded like a robot. And even when he made his closing remarks, it was just bizarre. It it was like he was, he was reading from a script in his mind. And, and it was like, it it was just bizarre. It just, it just doesn't come off natural. Um, I, I've, I've met DeSantis in person many times. And, you know, what people say about him in, in terms of how he's not a very good campaigner. And how he's not very good, you know, belly to belly when you're in front of people as a campaigner, as a politician. You know, I really don't think he is. He's just not a very personal individual. And he doesn't look you in the eye when he's talking to you. He's constantly looking around. And, I mean, he's just – he's not a likable guy. And and it wasn't – if he was a likable guy, his polling numbers would be increasing. But they're not. Yeah. So. That's that's where we're
0: at. Yeah, he's been incredibly stagnant. Agreed. And he was the favorite. Let's let's not forget that at the very least, if you knock Trump out of the equation, he was the heavy, heavy odds on favorite. Do you think it was the right move uh, for Trump to skip the debate?
1: Well, I think it was. Uh, I, I, think, you know, you've heard a lot of different analogies and the one that I like is, you know, you don't put your first string, you know, quarterback in, in preseason NFL games. Uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a good analogy. Listen, at the end of the day, um, President Trump is enjoying the largest primary lead that I've ever seen in my lifetime, Yaakov. Um, And, you know, we're still almost a year, well, not a year, I guess less than a year now away from that primary. Uh, And, um, yeah, I think, I don't think he, I don't think he missed anything. Uh, And, uh, you know, true, true to, true to Donald Trump's brand, he had everyone talking about him at the debate. (laughs) Uh, without even being there. And, uh, and, and also you saw the interview he did with Tucker, you know, and that had over 250 or 300 million impressions. Um, when the debate itself, I think had, you know, less than 15 million. So listen, Donald Trump is a master marketer. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, and, uh, I think it was the right move for him to, to, to sit this debate out um and and he also you know neutralized some of the campaigns you know and you know chris christie obviously is in this race solely to attack donald trump and yeah and he completely neutralized chris christie when i when i just mentioned that some of these people are probably going to be dropping out i would think that chris christie will be dropping out pretty soon um you know i mean he has he has no pathway uh to victory but with that said let's also be cognizant and you're Your listeners should know that, you know, people run for president for a lot of different reasons, right? You know, sometimes people will run for president because they actually love this country and they think they can win and they're going to go all in and try and win. Other people run for country run for president because, yes, they love this country, but they know they don't have a chance at winning, but they can sell books. They can increase their speaker fees. They can increase their name name recognition. They can increase their brand. Um, and I think that's what you see happening with a lot of these people that are running right now. I mean, surely Chris Christie doesn't think he's actually going to become the president, even though he says that on MSNBC and everyone else that'll have him on. But like, listen, at the end of the day, people are running for president to make money. Unfortunately, this is a business in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of money to be had um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see who drops out in the coming weeks. Uh, I, I thought Vivek Ramaswamy had a relatively decent performance at the debate. I thought Nikki Haley had a pretty decent performance. I would have liked to have heard more uh, from Tim Scott. Unfortunately, I don't think they really gave him too many questions. But, uh, but yeah, I think it was, it was the right decision for Trump to sit out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And my comparison, I, I, all the points you made were great, great points. My comparison is the New York Yankees and put aside the fact that they're horrible this year, but you know, you tell the New York Yankees that, by the way, if you want to get to the World Series, you have two choices. You can either play this little league team first and beat them, get to the World Series, or you could just skip that and just go straight to the playoffs or to the World Series. Which do you choose? It, it would be, it would be absurd. Like it, it's literally beneath the former president. You know, if, if, if he didn't have a massive lead in the polls, Maybe we have the conversation, but he does. And he was the president. And, and, and he lost in a very controversial election. So, I know, I totally agree with that. And by the way, you made the point how, you know, Fox, they made sure to mention Trump. They made sure that Trump was a very big theme of the night. Clearly, Tr- Fox realized that their ratings game was in big trouble because they didn't have Trump to boost it. And the way they tried to sort of compensate is by, you know, making him a big theme and and making sure that at least he got mentioned. And my son made the point to me. I thought it was a great point. And and we can I can sit here all night attacking Fox News because I thought they did a, a disgraceful job in a lot of ways with this debate. But they showed Trump. They showed a picture of the jailhouse that Trump. I guess I don't know if it was the Georgia jailhouse or a jailhouse that Trump could potentially be put in or whatever or arraigned into. And it, it was like, this is the context. The context you're mentioning the former president, a man who was so incredibly successful, by showing a picture of the jailhouse.
1: Well, I mean, listen. We know Fox News has a preferred candidate in this race, and, and yeah. that, that's Ron DeSantis, right? So, um, you know they they certainly. Uh, are going to do whatever they can to to put uh, the former president in a bad light. Um, but, you know, listen, Fox News also made another misstep that was very interesting to me. I don't know if you've heard uh, this new song out by Oliver Anthony, uh, Richmond, yeah, the Richmond, North yeah. of Richmond. Seen a lot about it. sure. So, so during the debate, they played the song um, and he fired back the next day in a video saying well, hey guys, it was so nice, and thank you so much for playing my song. But I was talking about the people up on stage. <laughs> yeah, I so, saw that, um, you know. So, you know, <laughs> what a stupid decision for for Fox to make uh, in in putting that out there. And 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 just a quick note on on this song from from Oliver Anthony. I I think, um, I mean, listen. If I were to make an assessment and say is he a Democrat or Republican, I'd bet my last dollar that he's a Republican. Um, but I think that he is very and, and millions of, of Americans, I think, share his mindset and that we're really frustrated with where we're going as a country right now. Um, and, um, and you, you know, you have Oliver Anthony talking and singing about, about God, about religion. Um, these are things that, you know, the left is trying to take out of our, our, our country. They're trying to take it out of the classrooms, uh, take it out of the curriculums, take it out of the, the discourse that we're having right now. Um, and it's, uh, I think very telling that someone like Oliver Anthony can go from an absolute no, nobody uh, to he's an overnight sensation, uh, sensation because he's talking about things that are really affecting the American people. And, anyways, uh, hey, I just thought it was interesting. That's that a great Fox point. And then, they, and then the next day he blasted them. So I thought <laughs> that was interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is. It's really funny. Um, all right, you mentioned Vivek. And I wanted to ask you about number one, agree, I agree with you completely. He had a phenomenal, and look, and I thought many have made this observation that he had a great performance. It really, to me, the only one who actually stood out and said, number one was actually blunt. You know, said, I'm not a sellout. I'm not bought off by people. I could tell you that climate change, man-made climate change is a hoax, etc. And, uh, you know, the, the person not afraid to actually tell the truth. And, and like you said, I, I thought Nikki Haley was very strong, I thought there were some others that were very strong, so not to knock them but uh now, vivek, one i guess you 'll call a questionable or controversial stance that he has is on funding to israel, and I do believe if i 'm not mm-hmm. mistaken that I saw you either tweeting about this or discussing this recently a couple of days ago vivek and 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 a lot of what Vivek has to say I really, really like and appreciate, and i 'm not sure foreign policy you know at this stage of the game is even his strength right now but what are your thoughts on the fact that he essentially said that he wants to defund israel by 2028
1: foreign policy is certainly not one of his strengths and and you're exactly correct i've been very outspoken about this and have been on tv many times and i also wrote a, a really nice piece over at the daily caller about this and um you know i think that that you know and his america first policies are fantastic i mean obviously i i love Uh, his America First policies. Uh, I like a lot of what he has to say. Um, But when it comes to foreign policy, we need to be mindful of the fact that America First does not mean America alone. We need to have strong allies throughout the world and especially, especially in the Middle East of all places where there's just a hotbed of terrorism and terrorists in so many of those countries in the Middle East. Um, So we um certainly uh, can can do things potentially to maybe pull back from financially supporting some countries out there, but to talk and and think about pulling back this military aid from Israel was just such a misstep on on his end um I was really hoping that during the debate he you know he would clarify his position. And, he, you know, he, he, he didn't clarify his position, but, but let me say this, Yaakov. I don't think he's an Israel hater. I don't think he has anything against Israel. Uh, he said some very nice things about Israel and very nice things about wanting to continue to usher in new peace in the Middle East. So I don't, I don't think he has a problem with Israel. I just think he's a little green and doesn't understand foreign policy and doesn't understand that the military aid that the U.S. provides in the tune of $3 billion every year to Israel. First of all, it's a strategic investment that uh, that means that we don't have to put our troops and our military assets on the ground in the Middle East because we can depend on Israel. Secondly, 75% of that money, of that $3 billion that the U.S provides a military aid to Israel is spent here in America on U.S. defense and military contractors supporting, I think, uh, an upwards of 20,000 jobs every single year. So um, in a lot of ways, you know, providing, you know, military aid is is is. Uh, is America first? We're supporting American jobs. We're supporting American companies. So I think, uh, listen, I think it was a misstep that Vivek made. Um, I would love to have a conversation with him to talk a little bit more about this. And, and the military aid conversation on the Republican side is, is one that's been percolating recently. And I have some friends, believe it or not, very strong, uh, strong and, and ardent Zionists and Jews that say, actually, maybe we shouldn't be providing military aid to israel and we should do it in a different format so there there are some conversations that are being had on that right now um i don't think we're in a position to be uh re that situation right now i don't know if you saw uh, it just broke in the last day or so but you had the libyan uh foreign minister met with israel's foreign minister in italy just two days ago um and news got leaked about this 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 uh this meeting that they had in the Libyan Prime, uh, the Libyan foreign minister said some very nice things about Israel and about how she wants to, you know, have a peace deal. And then she came home and within 24 hours of coming home, Yaakov, she got fired by the Libyan prime minister. The Libyan people are in the streets right now burning Israeli flags, chanting for death to Israel. So I'm sharing this because the Middle East is a very, very fragile place. um, And Israel has done some amazing things with building great relationships with Arab countries. And uh, it's nice that that, that Vivek spoke about that. But I I do think he's wrong. He's very wrong on ending military aid to Israel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Excellent points. And you're spot on that anybody who's not really holding in the weeds and the nitty gritty of the Middle East, you know, could not maybe even possibly begin to understand the like you said, the fragility, but also the fact that Israel is Almost the arm of the def- of the of the United States military in the sense that, I mean, policing, we're not talking about having troops in Scotland over here. We're talking about between the Saudis and between the Houthi rebels and obviously the Iranians, the Iranian nuclear program and everything that is and Syria and Lebanon, everything Israel is literally keeping an eye on. The, the only hope for stability in, in the Middle East would is possibly Israel.
1: Yeah, and Israel's doing more than just keeping an eye on it. I mean, they're they're constantly on on the on the offense, <laughs> right. you know, and and, um, and and they have to be, you know, especially in the last two and a half years because they've seen that the Biden administration really isn't too uh, too concerned uh, about you know doing things to, to curtail the malign activities from the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, but Israel has been leading the way on that, and I think they're going to going to continue to and one one last point i want to make on this and it's very important i think for all of us to to look at look at this through this lens if world war three started tomorrow who do you think would be the first country that would come to america's defense
0: excellent point israel hands down the only country would be israel
1: israel israel would come to america's defense overnight and you know what They bring with them a top five clandestine operation via vis-a-vis the Mossad, a top five air force vis-a-vis the Israeli Air Force. Um, So, you know, this is this is listen, Israel, as we know, is a very small country the size of New Jersey, less than 15 million people. But Israel punches above their weight on everything when it comes to military uh, from the military perspective. And, yeah, if World War Three, God forbid, were to break out. The first ally that's going to step up to support the people and lands here of America is going to be our friends in Israel.
0: You better yeah. believe it. And it would not be of Vladimir Zelensky. I guarantee you that. And no, no. <laughs> he, needs, he needs
1: he needs he needs he needs he needs more money to fight his war.
0: Yes, more throw more money. Let's throw him billions. I'm sure, it's going to good use. Uh, and final question before I get to asking about Case Pack, and you alluded to this. Mm. Biden on the Middle East has been as disastrous as I could have possibly feared. Uh, Worse on Iran, really, than Obama, which is hard to believe. Iran's closer than ever to a nuclear weapon. But aside from that, The Biden administration has been putting enormous pressure on Bibi Netanyahu and on Israel to make concessions to the Palestinians. Here you have all this success of Trump, Jared Kushner, who marginalized the Palestinians. He had the Abraham Accords, and the Palestinians were like a non-issue. He had Israel literally making alliances and peace and diplomatic relations with countries that were their bitter enemies. And, you know, no pressure whatsoever, no preconditions about... Palestinians or any of that. And now you have Biden, of course, constantly putting all and you had the U.S. visa waiver program where Israel Mm -hmm. actually did agree Mm -hmm. to allow Palestinians with with the whole dual passports to come in basically without any security checkpoints, which is terrifying. So what are your thoughts on Biden and the uh, clearly anti-Israel agenda that he has displayed?
1: I think it's an absolute disgrace, whether it was uh, Biden calling the Netanyahu government extreme for wanting to take initial steps uh, to pass judicial reform. Uh, I think uh, it's an absolute disgrace that President Biden has not invited Prime Minister Netanyahu to the White House for an official visit. Um, And now this latest where you have President Biden and his administration that are going behind Israel's back, trying to create framework of a deal with the Saudis and then shoving it down Israel's throat. Um, You know, if there's one thing that, that we've seen. When it comes to foreign policy, the Biden administration versus the Trump administration is the Biden administration is full of career bureaucrats. The Trump administration was full of political outsiders, business people, people that were not entrenched in the system. And what you have right now, Yaakov, with the Biden administration, especially on a foreign policy perspective, is you have the same people at the same table for the last couple of decades that are continuing to try and shove a square peg into a round hole and thinking it's going to work. It's not going to work. There hasn't been a single foreign policy victory for the American people or for any of our allies in the last two and a half years of the Biden administration. Not a single victory. But yet when you look at the Trump administration – they created the Abraham Accords. They brought the Islamic Republic of Iran to their knees. You better believe you didn't. You, you weren't seeing China brokering peace deals be, between the Islamic Republic of Iran and the Kingdom of, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia during the Trump administration. No, no, no. That's happened during the Biden administration. So the Biden administration has been openly hostile to Israel. Oh, oh and how could I forget the fact that the Biden administration's uh, State Department – passed around a memo last year that said that they weren't going to be funding research and development projects at Ariel University anymore because Ariel University is in this place called Judea and Samaria, the people and land of Israel. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been one thing after another with the Biden administration. This is something that I'm sure you warned uh, about and knew was coming. I knew it was coming. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to be this bad, um, but it's been pretty bad so far. And the Biden Biden administration really should be ashamed of themselves, the way they've been treating Israel uh, and meddling into Israel's domestic affairs, shoving peace deals down their throat. It, it's just uh, it's really an absolute disgrace, in my opinion. I think you you probably agree.
0: I completely agree. But yeah, but very well said your points. Really excellent, excellent points, one after the next. And uh, yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's its just incredibly disappointing. Not surprising, as you said, but incredibly, incredibly uh, disturbing. Yeah, and,
1: and by the way, and by the way, I, I've spoken with a lot of our, our brothers and sisters in Israel, and they feel the exact same way they're absolutely disgusted uh in terms of how, what the Biden administration has been doing towards Israel what they're trying to get Israel to do they're absolutely disgusted
0: yeah and by the way and one you know you remind me uh I wasn't going to even go there but um you know mayor eric adams and I'm no fan of mayor adams let me be clear but adams visited israel uh, no not at all we could go on about that a whole separate episode but uh, but, he, but but he did uh, he, despite <laughs> His views and you know all of the controversy surrounding him, he visited Israel. They asked him about the ju- the judicial reform, and he said, and, and I understand he has political reasons and he has a lot of friends that he needs to keep happy, pro-Israel friends, but and supporters. But he said, I don't get involved. I don't want Israel telling me how to run my city. I don't get involved in Israeli domestic politics. And if only Biden and if only you know Eric Adams, Democrat colleagues and cohorts would follow that same advice.
1: I thought that was that was a very nice thing for him to say. It was the, And by the way, it was the right thing for him to say. Yeah. No American politicians, whether you're the president of the United States down to uh, the mayor of the city where the most Jews in America live, you should worry about what's inside your own house, okay? And if your own house is in fantastic shape, maybe then you can start looking outside. But when your house is crumbling from within – You've got to focus on fixing that. Um, and, uh, like you said, you know, you're no fan of, of Mayor Adams, nor am I. But when he said that, I gave him some kudos for that. Yeah, that that was that was that was that was the right thing to do. Don't worry about what Israel's doing. Focus on your own house and focus on fixing your own house
0: first. Right. Which needs needs a lot of fixing for Mayor Adams. And I know I did say we're getting the case back in a second. But, you know, when Biden was VP and he he he, he, I believe, gave a precondition to Israel. He said, I'm only going to visit as vice president if you halt certain settlement construction. And Mark Levin at that point made a comment. He said, When did Joe Biden become the HUD Secretary of Israel? thought that was very well said. (laughs) (laughs) Telling them when to construct. Oh, yeah, he's the best. All right. Now, on that note, tell me about, and look, Case Pack, I know about, I had not heard of it, honestly. I have a relationship with you. So when you became uh, the head of it, that, you know, that's when I first got to look into it. And of course, I've even covered a bunch of stories that you've sent me and that we've discussed about Case Pack. But uh, tell us about Case Pack
1: yeah thank thank you so much for all of your support and for for your community support uh you know case pack was started in twenty nineteen by Rebecca Harari. Uh, to be a nonpartisan political action committee that was dedicated to combating anti-Semitism in federal politics. Uh, and that's exactly what we are here today. I stepped into this role about 90 days ago, uh, and we've been punching above our weight every single day uh, and really raising awareness about the anti-Semitism that is happening inside of Congress, whether it's running – uh, the lies versus truth campaign where we expose the lies from members of Congress or whether that's also shining a spotlight on the good members of Congress that have spoken out and in, uh, in support of Israel, support of fighting anti-Semitism. Uh, and there have been many that have done that, and, and we've worked with some to to get them to raise their voices even louder. Um, and uh listen, it's been a lot of fun so far, and, and fighting anti-Semitism is something that – uh in a lot of ways, Yaakov, I wish I didn't have to do it. But you know what? It is – what it is, and the fight is more real now than ever before. And if any of your your listeners, um, you know, support the fact that we need to fight anti-Semitism in the halls of Congress, please go to our website. It's casepac.org, C-A-S-E-P-A-C.org. org. Take a look. Take a look at what we're doing. And if you feel so inclined, please make a contribution to help us. Um, we are punching above our weight right now. We are the only federal political action committee dedicated to fighting anti-Semitism. And As the 2024 election cycle starts to roll around here, we're going to be rolling out some key endorsements uh, and uh, really going on on the attack and all the offense against all these bad actors out there. And you you and I both know who they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to hopefully we're going to put up a link, I believe to that, um, site to be able to, people to donate on the website, on the Vint site where we put this podcast up, this episode. And, uh, yeah, I would add even, and it's a phenomenal thing that you're doing and very much needed. And I would just add that. There's two types of groups that fight anti-Semitism. There are those who are focused on the white supremacists, and then there are those who are focused, you know, the the, the conservative groups. And there aren't many who are, who are fighting anti-Semitism, who are focused on the source of 95 or maybe 99 percent of the, you know, real anti-Semitic problems. And I know you're focused on both, so I don't mean to give preferential. All anti-Semites are bad. But let's be honest, there's a lot of leftist groups that claim to fight anti-Semitism, and probably they're promoting it.
1: You're exactly correct. I mean listen, when we look at the halls of Congress, uh the the the, the reality is that over like you said, ninety, ninety five percent of the anti Semitism that we're hearing about is coming from members of Congress that are on the left that are Democrats um, and, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, you you similar to 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 me, you know, uh, we, we have some some Democrats friends of ours that we like and respect. Sure. Um, you know, we don't we're we're not on a war path against against Democrats. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we've got to call call spades out or we've got to call, you know, we've got to call yeah. it what it is. Right. And, and yeah. And, and the anti-Semitism is. Uh, for the most part, coming from the left and um, we've got to call it out. And I think, you know, uh, one final point that, that I really would love to make is that anti-Semitism is unfortunately at record highs. You know, the, the Jewish people, we, the Jewish people, represent less than two percent of this country's population. But for some reason, we're the target of over 65 percent of the hate crimes, at least the reported hate crimes. I'm sure if the unreported hate crimes were added in, we'd probably be 85 percent. Um and in a lot of ways, you know, we, we've, we've, we've got to fight back. We've got to be, we've got to speak out against what's happening. But I, but I would, I would also offer that we've got to start having more pride in who we are as a people, who we are as a community, what we bring to the table. We've got to have more Jewish pride, Yako. We've got to be proud of what our ancestors have done. We've got to be proud of our customs and our values and how we stand with each other. And I think if we start having more Jewish pride, That's not obviously going to solve anti-Semitism, but at least it's going to these anti-Semites, these Jew haters are going to know that they can't get away with it. We're going to push back. We're going to fight back. We're going to lead with pride and we're not going to let them get away with it.
0: Absolutely. Okay. wonderful message. We'll close it on that. Brian Leib, I got to tell you, a phenomenal guest. I don't mean to pant at you in any way here. You're articulate, sharp, passionate. And you have this immense knowledge, this very deep and nuanced understanding of issues, of policies. And uh, it really is just wonderful, wonderful to have you. And I hope we do this again no, thank soon. You.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And everything that... Everything that I'm saying, especially when it comes to fighting anti-Semitism, comes from, as I just said, that, that place of, of Jewish pride. And it's such a passion for me. And I know it's a passion for you and so many of your listeners. And, and um, listen, it's it's an absolute honor to be back on your show. And anytime you want to have me, just let me know. Thank you. Absolutely. So, so much.
0: Brian Live, the executive director of Case Pack on the VIN News podcast.